Welcome back to the Dogs of War podcast. It is great to have you as always. This episode is brought to you by Zabo Apparel Company. They're Cleveland-based. They're veteran-owned. My mom went out there to the Vermilion store last week, and let me tell you, she came back with a gold mine of stuff. Their COVID Browns masks are incredible. Check them out, S-Z-A-B-O-Apparel.com. Thanks, as always, to them. This episode, we are going to recap the game that was Sunday's performance against the Ravens. We're going to have on Mo Egger for an interview to help us understand what we're getting ourselves into against the Bengals on Thursday night. Mo is on ESPN 1530, 700 WLW, ESPN Radio, Fox Sports Ohio, The Athletic. You can find him on Twitter at Mo Egger, M-O-E-G-G-E-R-1530. Thanks again to Mo for coming on. He knows more about the Bengals and Cincinnati sports than most people alive. If you're from Ohio, you've probably already heard of him. But let's get right into it. Here we go. I still believe through the cold and through the heat, through the rain and through the tears, through the crowds and through the cheers. Welcome back. Welcome back. Loyal Dogs of War. It is Thursday. Do you know what that means, Kevin? It's a game day. Yes. Do you know what it also means? It also means, and the reason why we put these episodes out on Wednesdays or Thursdays when it's a Thursday night game, is because you've already heard everything you wanted to hear about this last Sunday's game. And we've already got everything out of our system as well on Twitter, in text, everywhere else. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time talking about that game that happened on Sunday. I'm no longer clinical depressed dude like i'm back well we got our we're drinking some yak right now but oh yeah cheers. Wednesday. yeah cheers to that for sure um yeah look a lot of people have asked in the past like i just said why do you guys do wednesday episodes and not monday tuesday even sunday night it's because one Riley and i are not in a proper state of mind on sunday night we're uh a few barley pops deep um i'm usually on the phone after the game calling my dad over serve yelling at him for raising me a cleveland fan and then him returning and saying i'm doing this twice as long as you have so shut up and hang up uh yeah so we lost to the ravens we got smoked there was not one part of this game that had any positives we got kicked in the mouth from the jump We've heard everything there is to hear about it. 38 to 6. We had no answer for him. The new offense we thought we were going to see with Stefanski was not there. Yet. No, yet. No play action. No crazy tight end packages. Austin Hooper, where were you? Miles Garrett, where were you? Uh, we can go on, on, and on, and on, and on. Did Baker look good? No. Uh, did Stefanski get out coached like you've never seen before? Yes. He also said that after the game. Uh, special teams, defense, offense, defense down four starters. All three areas of the game were horrendous. And the Scottish Hammer's first punt fake attempt was a massacre. Was, I will never I may never forgive him for that. Not him, but the franchise. It was horrifying. The play call was horrifying. Uh play calling in general was horrifying. But we're gonna use this episode and focus on the positive things. We have our health and happiness most days. Uh we have a season. We have a football season. We have a short week. We only had, I mean, they had the flight home to think about that. And now it's over with. It's history. We got a Thursday night game tonight. We're at home against the Bengals. Thursday night football. What do you got? Uh, Kevin, 
There weren't really any. We, I was going to do a stats segment this week where we go over a bunch of stats, but all of our stats this week were depressing as shit. So we're going to skip that segment. Hold on until next week. Hopefully, knock on wood. Ooh, so, wait. I got a positive. Uh, the song that we put in the last episode, the Creed remake of Hire that Muccio sang for us. Shout uh, out, Mooch. Shout out, Muccio. It got on Cleveland Radio twice on Monday. Shout out to Rizzo and Goldhammer. Play it right now. All right. Your All right. Face. We All got right. a new Brown song over the weekend. No, now, I don't want to hear. No, no, no. This I don't want to hear any Brown. I don't need any Brown this songs. This is of the parody variety. Take a listen. I mean, that's pretty damn good. Where'd you get that? I'm not going to lie. Who is that? Want to shout out. Uh, what's Kevin Toletta sent that uh, to Hammer and I this weekend. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. I liked it. And yeah, there's another clip somewhere at the end of the episode where it's actually uh, Goldhammer is singing it to Rizzo just to piss him off because he doesn't want to talk about the Browns anymore at all. And it's hilarious. So again, thank you, Aaron. Uh, we'll send you guys a lot more songs throughout the year and we'll probably have a Christmas album coming out too. So more on that later. The big part of this episode is we wanted to bring on someone who can talk about the Bengals. I know we're in the same state. We're in the same division, but I don't know about you guys. I don't pay a whole hell of a lot of attention to the Bengals other than me just talking shit to my Kentucky friends down there. So we wanted to bring on, like I said, someone who knows more than probably anyone uh, about the Bengals, and that's Mr. Mo Egger. Mo Egger is with The Athletic, Fox Sports Ohio, ESPN Radio. He is the man in Cincinnati, the man of Cincinnati Radio. Most everyone in Cincinnati knows who he is. Uh, most people in Ohio sports radio know who he is. So excited to bring him on. That being said, the reason why I'm introing this and not Raleigh is because I was supposed to be on this interview this morning with them. Uh, unfortunately, I had a little schedule mix up. So Raleigh, without even knowing I'm not going to make it, just jumped in and ran it solo. So thank you to you. And once again, thank you to Mo for coming on. I think you guys are going to love the interview. Raleigh, anything on that that I missed? No, no, he pretty much nailed it. You uh, <sighs> gathered all my courage and asked him questions about the Bengals. And he answered the shit out of him. He's a good dude. I, when you guys listen to this interview, tell me that you don't think that he uh, – he sounds like a Browns fan, except he's a Bengals fan. He calls a fair game, wishes no ill will upon Los Brownies, but yeah, pretty good stuff. Um, before we get into that, I have a couple of inspirational quotes, Kevin, that I'm going to read out loud that I think all of us could take a listen about the Browns and the adversity that they're trying to overcome currently for the past 21 years or so. Oh, hey, well, if you're going to read like inspirational quotes, let me hit the music. Wait. Okay, go. Okay, starting off. Our greatest glory is not in never falling, 
but in rising every time we fall. Who said that, Kevin? Uh, Judd Apatow? No, it was Confucius. Close enough. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. It's a bad accent. Uh, it's about how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. No, Stepe? No, it's actually Rocky Balboa from the movie. All right, All right, give me one more. Success is measured by how high you bounce when you hit rock bottom. That's Mel Gibson, 100%. Close. George Patton. General George Patton. I mean, you know, Mel Gibson plays a war hero, and so I'm not that far off. Yeah, so point being, everyone, they're going to make adjustments. Let's see how we bounce back before you start trashing them on social media. If you trash your own players on social media, you're a piece of shit person, and you came from a bad family. Keep that, Kevin, and let's get into this interview. Here we go. I am joined by Mr. Mo Egger of Cincinnati, Ohio. He's a Bengals guy, probably the biggest sports radio guy in Cincinnati. A Bengals mm. fan through and through. And uh, kind of a rough weekend for a boat for us both. <laughs> <laughs> but, but see, I mean, I, I would say we had it worse, but what, what did you think of the Bengals? Well, you know, look, th- this season, it's not that unlike two years ago for the Browns. This season is all about Joe Burrow. And they were an offensive pass interference call, the right call, but they were an offensive pass interference call away from the story being all about Joe Burrow getting the ball with about three minutes to go, no timeouts and going 82 yards and winning the game in his first NFL game with no preseason. That should be the story. And um, if, if the ref doesn't throw that flag, and again, I think the ref should have thrown the flag, but if the ref doesn't throw the flag on a, on a play that oftentimes the, the flag isn't thrown, then that's all we're talking about. But um, as is often the case for the Bengals, something bizarre happens and a normally really reliable kicker pulls up lame on a 31-yard field goal and they lose by three points. And instead of talking about Joe Burrow's debut ending with him delivering in crunch time, we're talking about something that I think in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter that much. <laughs> <laughs> it matters that they lost. It obviously matters when your kicker uh, misses a, a very makeable field goal. And and for this team, if, if the idea this season is to, you know, be in contention and they spend a lot of money uh, on this roster, so I think that's the idea, you can't blow that game at home against a team that offensively is not that good. But I think the 30,000-foot takeaway is – Got Joe Burrow on a day where he played like a rookie often, on a day where the offensive line uh, did him no favors. When it counted, he delivered. And and I think that's, you know, as frustrating as the result was, when you kind of get remove yourself from it, that was the headline for me on Sunday. No, I I like that. It's, um, it's a tough situation. I've had a weird – well, it's not my only opinion, but – when you are the number one overall draft pick, that means you are going to the team that struggled the most the previous yeah. season. And oftentimes they go quarterback and it's kind of a baptism by fire, let alone during the COVID era where you don't get a preseason, you get a shortened uh, training camp. But how did they, did you say the offensive line was lacking? Well, you know, from, from, from the get go when the schedule came out, um, I think most Bengals fans, did the same thing, which was 
God, in the first two games, they're going to have to go up against Joey Bosa and Miles Garrett with an offensive line that is probably going to be the weak spot of this team. And that that was the case on Sunday. They, they've – I, they've invested a lot of money in their defense, and the defensive performance on Sunday was was pretty good. Obviously, everything's all about Joe Burrow. They have a pretty I, – I, I think they have a group of weapons that have a lot of potential. I have more question marks about that group than most. But their offensive line wasn't good last year, and they, they really made no changes to it aside from acquiring Xavier Suofilo in free agency from the Cowboys, who was hurt last year. And he's already been hurt after game one, um, not going to go on, on Thursday night. Um, the major change is at left tackle, Jonah Williams is was their first-round pick in 2019, 11th overall. He didn't play at all last year. He got hurt during OTAs. And so he didn't go through a preseason, didn't go through a training camp. So Sunday was his first NFL action. You kind of give him a pass. He's a, basically a rookie, and he hasn't played yet. But the rest of that offensive line is basically a bunch of dudes who were here last year. And if we were to identify the, the least popular Bengal today, it's a battle between Randy Bullock, the kicker who shanked that field goal, and the right tackle, Bobby Hart, who they inexplicably keep bringing back. You know, he was, he was on this team in 2018. He was awful. They then gave him about a 400% raise to come back. He was awful last year. And then despite there being a lot of chatter about there being a, an open competition for the right tackle job, Bobby Hart basically went unchallenged during training camp, and then on Sunday he was useless. And so I think the main question is, number one, how are they going to stop Miles Garrett, who I'm sure is licking his chops at the prospect of on one side of the Bengals line, you got a, a rookie left tackle who just played his first NFL game and did okay, and on the other side of the offensive line, You've got a guy in Bobby Hart that I would imagine every edge rusher in the NFL is licking their chops at, at getting a chance to play against him. So the offensive line is going to be an issue on Thursday night. And it's really it's going to be an issue all year long because when, when you don't project to have a very good starting offensive line, you probably don't have a lot of depth either. They've whiffed in that area in the draft. Uh, two years ago, they drafted Billy Price from Ohio State. He's a backup right now. And frankly, he hasn't worked out. They took two tackles with their first two picks in 2015. Um, that hasn't worked out. Cedric O'Boyhe and Jake Fisher never really panned out. Uh, the jury is obviously still out on, on Jonah Williams, but it's, it's – that's of, – of, of whatever question marks that exist on this team, I think that the most pressing and the loudest question and, – and frankly, I think the biggest issue they're going to have this coming offseason is – how do they get better on the offensive line? And as we, you know, set our sights on, on, on the game this week, that's the biggest question. And when you have a rookie quarterback who's the face of your franchise, it's obviously extraordinarily important to protect him. And I think it's fair to wonder if they're going to be able to do that, not just against Cleveland, but all season long. Great segue, Mo, when you mentioned the kicker. <laughs> Enter Austin Seibert. Ah, <laughs> oh, this uh, is going to keep me up at night. If we lose – to the Bengals from a game-winner field goal by Austin Seibert, I'm going to lose my mind. I watched the game on Sunday, so I saw his struggles. I followed him, you know, obviously to the extent that you would follow a kicker on another team last season. Um, I, I think most Bengals fans are kind of viewing it the opposite way in that they would rather have Austin Seibert kick 
<laughs> because, you know, it, it, it's funny. I, I talked about this on my radio show yesterday. Randy Bullock is the Bengals kicker. And, you know, he's not Justin Tucker. Nobody is, right? Um, but he made a 50-yard field goal on Sunday. That's typically, like a lot of kickers, he's about a, a 50% guy from 50 and out. But he has been extraordinarily reliable. Um, inside, you know, let's say, let's say inside, God, the 45, you know? I mean, he's, he's made the majority of kicks that he should make. But for whatever reason, since they acquired him and made him the guy in 2016, he has been extraordinarily unpopular. Now, he, he missed a game-winning kick in a game that, frankly, didn't count in 2016 on Christmas Eve where the Bengals were out of it. And so, you know, that was, I guess, his first real introduction to, to Bengals fans. In 2017, they drafted a kicker by the name of Jake Elliott, who you've, you've probably seen kick, uh, kicked in the Super Bowl for the Eagles. Randy Bullock, by every measurement, has been better. And yet if you ask, I think, your average Bengals fan, they would tell you they made a mistake in electing to keep Bullock over Elliott. And I think they would have said that before Sunday. So what you had on Sunday was an already inexplicably unpopular kicker making a kick in what, frankly, was the biggest Bengals game since the playoffs in 2015. So, you know, they, they, they could have brought in anybody. They, they, they could have brought in a guy off the street that nobody's ever heard of. They could have brought in Steven Goskowski after his struggles on, on Monday night. Uh, they brought in Austin Seibert to be basically the insurance policy against Bullock pulling up lane because the story was it's not just that he missed the kick, he, he cramped. Now, it's funny because they said it was a left leg cramp, but after he missed the kick, he was holding his right leg. So your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> okay. But they uh, brought in Austin Seibert. Zach Taylor, the coach, reiterated, Randy Bullock is our guy. But, you know, they'll, they'll give this a look on Thursday and I guess see if Randy's healthy. But if he misses a kick in this game, if Randy Bullock misses a kick, oh, uh, Bengals fans are going to melt down and wonder why they didn't replace him with the guy that they signed earlier this week, despite the fact that the guy they signed earlier this week had even bigger issues in the game that uh, Cleveland played against Baltimore. Yeah, I I was kind of surprised by the, I mean, missing a PAT and a field goal when you're a kicker is never ideal. But, I don't know, getting the yank after one failed game, is that common yeah. in the NFL? Um, I feel like he's got the yips. And I don't know if we're firing guys when they have the yips right away. I mean, if he missed, if he made both of those kicks, the Brown score goes from six to 38 and nine to 30 or 10 to 38. So I don't know. It was uh, kind of a surprise to me, but he brought in Cody Parkey, which kind of excited about that. I feel like he got a bad rap with that Bears game. Mm -hmm. That ball was tipped yeah. and the whole city came down on him. I do not wish being an NFL kicker upon my most mortal enemy. Like with all of the hate yeah. and social media these guys get. It, it's become a job where you have to be perfect. And, and it's become a job where you're like the easiest scapegoat, you know. Um, you watch the Browns and Ravens more closely than I did. But if we were to jot down the issues uh, that, that plagued Cleveland on Sunday, uh, I, I don't know that. I don't know that the kicking really make the list. I mean, I it's it's me. It's it's just an easy it's an easy scapegoat. Hey, we did something. We got you know we got whacked. So here we we did something. Um, 
you know, look, the, the Bullock miss on Sunday was, was a bigger deal because if he makes it, you know, the game goes to overtime and, you know, they have a, a decent chance of, of winning the game. But, yeah, I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Seibert made about 86% of his field goals last year. Yep. Which is pretty good, you know. But these guys, uh, we expect them to be perfect. And there's so many of them sort of floating out there that it, it's an easy – it's and it's the easiest position to replace. So it's easy to say, ah, oh, we're, you know, we're uh, we're cutting this guy. We're going to bring this dude in off the street, and and you know, fans seem to to nod along with it. And you know, look, if if Bullock struggles on Thursday, especially given the fact that they have more time between their next game against Philadelphia, uh, I completely expect them to go get another kicker. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but you know, if if by the end of the season we're talking about kicking woes. Um, that tells me that a lot of the other stuff has been fixed for both teams. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, in the spirit of recon, who are some of the defensive players us Browns fans should be on the lookout for in Thursday's game? Um, I would start with William Jackson, the third, William Jackson, the third, I think is their most interesting player for a couple of different reasons. Number one, um, he missed his rookie season with an injury, didn't get a chance to play until year two, which was 2017. And as essentially a rookie, he was phenomenal. And you, you could have sold me on the idea that by now he would be ranked among the NFL's best cornerbacks and be listed among the highest paid cornerbacks. Unfortunately, in 2018 and 19, he was not very good. And so here he is. He's going into his last year of his rookie contract. He has no deal for 2021. He's got an opportunity to make a lot of money. If he can go back and play to the level that he did in 2017, uh, for his sake, he's he stands to make a lot of cash, and it's going to be interesting to see, especially with a lowered salary cap, if the Bengals are going to be the team to give him that cash. They signed a number two corner in free agency this offseason, Trey Waynes, and they overpaid him, $42 million bucks for three years. If I'm William Jackson, I'm looking at that going, hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm a better player. I can't be a better player than Trey Waynes. And Sunday he was fantastic. So obviously he has a lot to gain, but I, I kind of feel like everything, I, I sort of feel like modern NFL defenses really, you know, we used to always say, boy, you know, you, you build from the, the inside out or you build from the front back defensively. I kind of think it's the opposite now. I, I sort of think you build from the secondary in. And the Bengals took that approach this offseason. They signed two corners. They signed a safety and free agency. But the, the guy that I think has the highest ceiling among all their players in their secondary is William Jackson. Then you add to it, Trey Wayne's got hurt, so he's not playing right now. And then you look specifically at the matchup on, on Thursday night, and you see Odell Beckham Jr. So I'm going to assume that William Jackson is going to be covering Odell Beckham Jr. for at least a solid chunk of the game. That to me is a matchup worth paying attention to, and that is a player worth paying attention to. Um, I, I think the thing that's that's been most frustrating for me, watching the Bengals over the last couple of years, two years ago, they had a historically bad defense, and and I think you know Browns fans can remember uh, Baker Mayfield coming down here and just dancing all over the Bengals. Uh, just and and they were you know Hugh Jackson was on the sideline. That team's defense was historically bad. Last year's defense was almost as bad. Um, the main issue for me has been, God, they can't cover the middle of the field, and this is a really bad tackling team. 
So there's two guys that I pay attention to. One is a player by the name of Josh Bynes, who uh, fans of AFC North teams should be familiar with because he came over from the Baltimore Ravens. Not a star linebacker by any stretch, but the kind of player the Bengals have frankly lacked at that position. Somebody who can just occupy space in the middle of the field, is a sure tackler, um, doesn't make coverage mistakes. He's not going to make a ton of plays. He's not going to be a game changer. I can't imagine, you know, the, the, the folks with the Browns are, uh, you know, um, losing sleep over Josh Bynes, ruining their game plan. But given how bad the Bengals have been at linebacker, I thought he played really well on Sunday, and so I look for him. I really look for everybody at that position because they've got a second-year player in, um, in, uh, in Jermaine Pratt. They, they drafted three linebackers in this draft, Akeem Davis-Gaither and, uh, and Logan Wilson, and those guys got a lot of reps on, on Sunday. So in their second NFL game, what do we see from those players? And, and Brown fans have gotten used to Geno Atkins being among the best players um, in the league, certainly one of the best Bengals. He is uh, not going to play in this game. He's got a shoulder injury, didn't play on Sunday. We keep talking about new players the Bengals brought in. Uh, DJ Reader, um, the, the, the highest paid free agency, uh, free agent signing in, in the history of the Bengals. And a guy that they acquired to really shore up the interior of that defensive line and pair with Geno Atkins. Well, now without Geno Atkins, DJ Reader is going to be asked, I think, to do a little bit more. And I thought he played pretty well on Sunday. And so those are the guys. I think if, if the Bengals end up being significantly better than they've been over the last couple of years, as much as we talk about Joe Burrow, it's going to be because their defense takes a major step forward. And for the most part, against Tyrod Taylor, we know how limited he is. But against that, against that uh, L.A. offense, I thought they did a pretty nice job. It's, it's, uh, it's funny you mention up or you bring up injuries. It seems like the Browns, we just couldn't catch a break in training camp. Like our entire starting secondary is depleted. Yeah. We lost uh, Joe Schobert in free agency last year, and the starter that was supposed to take a spot, Mac Wilson, busted his knee. He should be back. And I think it's like six weeks, but we couldn't stop a damn thing over the middle either. Like I'm expecting a lot of tight end play. Um, granted, Najoku, the one shining star from <laughs> Sunday game, now he's hurt. I'm like, I added, there are more holes presented in that Sunday yeah. game. I'm just uh, really hoping that they can bounce back, they being the Browns. No offense to you guys, but I want to see how they rally after this. You know, a lot of us sort of viewed this game when the schedule came out as, wow, Burrow versus Baker, round one. And this could be, you know, a really fun next few years in the AFC North. You know, Ben's still around. Lamar's great. Uh, Baker has all the talent in the world. And we obviously hope Joe Burrow can be really good. But – I think Baker and and, uh, and and Joe Burrow are the guys who most get compared to one another because I don't want to say their personalities are similar, but I think there are some similarities. And, and so I've said all along, from a Bengals standpoint, I want to feel about the Bengals and Joe Burrow the way Browns fans felt about the Browns and Baker Mayfield at the end of 2018. But if at the beginning of the 2022 season, 
we are with Joe Burrow, where Browns fans appear to be with Baker Mayfield, that's a problem. You know, and I, I mean, because I think Baker Mayfield is one of the most interesting players in the NFL because in this era of these teams investing in, in you know, quarterbacks that they've drafted, the dude has a chance to make a killing financially. Um, but, you know, based on what we've seen so far, and granted he has 15 games left in this season before they even have to start entertaining what they're going to do with him. But, I mean, do you, do you lock into Baker Mayfield at the kind of, you know, at, at what is basically the going rate for a franchise quarterback, especially one who was taken number one overall. So he's really one of the more interesting players in the NFL for me. And I, I, I've sort of viewed him so far as a little bit of a measuring stick for, for Burrow. Because, man, at the end of 2018, you guys felt it. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember watching watching Baker at the end of that year going, boy, if I was a Browns fan, I'd have hope. And it's mostly based on this guy. And that's before they acquired, you know, Odell and whatever. And then since then, you really haven't seen it. And so, you know, we keep talking about, okay, the progress for Joe Burrow. Early in year three, I can't be unsure about him. And I think that's where Browns fans are right now. And I don't think that's a very good place to be. I uh, I hear you loud and clear. I I am obviously a homer, but I think excuses can be given to a point. I don't know, one, what it's like to play quarterback in the NFL, but two, there's not a whole lot of guys that know what it's like to play in the NFL and have your fourth, fifth head coach in four years, three years. Um, the new schemes constantly, it's like just – cut him a break like yeah. let's get simplify the play calling utilize our weaknesses uh excuse me let's try to hide our weaknesses pound the ball we have two of the best running backs in my opinion in the league mm-hmm. and let's just get some uh check down some sh- like tom brady did not make his career on the deep ball <laughs> it was right. just those little yeah. check downs let your guys work spread the ball around and you know dissect the uh dissect the defense but I'm just hoping that Stefanski and Baker can mesh and just call the right plays, execute on them. And, yeah, they are taking flack on social media right now, which I don't Do you have any thoughts on the new era of social media and football players? Do you think that impacts <laughs> their game? I don't think I've ever asked that to a legitimate host or legitimate um, guest. You mentioned Baker and uh, Burrow being similar yeah. personality-wise. Is yeah. Burrow getting loud on social media ever? Not really, no. I mean, and when I say, like, similar personalities, I think they're really confident guys. Um, I, I think Baker is going to be a little bit more willing to give uh, give folks a, a soundbite. And, and I think Joe is – he's not going to be as boring as Andy Dalton, but I think he's going to be – more measured with what he says. Um, but, but I do think those guys have a lot of confidence in themselves. Um, you know, Baker's probably going to have more commercials than Joe Burrow. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the, the, the social media, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on social media and I, I say that as a very active social media user, but um, yeah, I, I think if, you know, as, as a Bengals fan, you never root for the Browns, but as somebody who grew up watching Boomer and Bernie and had the poster in my room as a kid, um, I, I think it'd be fun as hell if, you know, Roethlisberger sort of an island onto himself just because of his age. But I, I think it'd be fun as hell if 
Burrow's the real deal. Baker's the real deal. I think we all suspect that Lamar Jackson's the real deal. And we can watch those three guys outduel each other for the next, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years, even beyond. I think that would be a blast. Um, <laughs> I don't want that. I just want the occasional winning streak. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, you know, uh, I, I, I get that. But um, I just I, – I think – I think these games are interesting when you have when you have quarterbacks that transcend, quarterbacks that rub the other fan base the wrong way, uh, quarterbacks that maybe go after each other. I, I just think that's fun, and I think that potential exists. But man, if 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 by the end of the year we're sort of having the same conversations about Baker and the lack of continuity with your, with, with the with their organization, you know. It's a make or break year. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I, at the I, end of the day. I, we we paid really close attention, closer attention than usual to the Browns here when they hired Hugh, because Hugh did a great job here. Hugh was really highly thought of. Man, there's a lot of people when the Browns hired him. You know, that was after the Bengals melted down again in the playoff game. And if you would have done a public opinion poll, would you rather? Marvin Lewis or Hugh Jackson be the head coach, it would have been close. I mean, it would have been nearly unanimous. And not only was there this thought, this sense of, God, they let Hugh Jackson get away. It was, man, they let Hugh Jackson get away to the Browns? If there's anybody who can turn that team around, it's Hugh. And I I, I, I didn't really feel that way in large part because of just having some conversations with, with people. But I remember thinking, like, that would be the most Bengal thing ever. The Browns finally get rolling because of Hugh. And then within two years, the guy is a punchline. And deservedly so. And so, you know, I remember thinking, like, God, you know, that's probably Hugh's last chance. He did such good work here. I wanted him. I, you know, you're rooting for the guy to do well, but you're not rooting for the team to do well. Um, I didn't want to see him go winless. But it was – he just became such a punching bag and understandably so. And then, you know, when they hired Freddie Kitchens, I mean, I remember on the air saying, like, I guess we're all just going to kind of go with this thing that they're hiring Freddie Kitchens at Cleveland. And we're okay with that. We're on board with it because Baker Mayfield seems to like him. I'm like, okay, maybe, but it just, it, it sort of felt like we all went along with it. And then it was painfully obvious early last year that he wasn't the guy. And, at some point, you have to settle on a head coach. I know fans are really impatient, uh, you know, everywhere. But at some point, you have to give a coach a chance. And, you know, we, I, I've said that about the Bengals. As much as you can hammer them for, you know, holding on to Marvin Lewis way too long and being antiquated in terms of a lot of their philosophies, they settled on Zach Taylor, right, wrong, either way. But they're going to give him a chance. They're going to give him time. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with the Browns, it's it's a combination of God. This coach really doesn't look like he deserves time, but at some t- at some point you have to give a coach some time, and that's that's a tough balancing act. I agree. It's we had a uh, a Ravens podcast host on uh, a guy that writes for SB Nation, and you realize that they have a regime that's had the same head coach in front office for like ten years. I'm like. Yeah. I don't care who you – that's how you get some things right like when they yeah, start. They've had, they've had two coaches this century. Yeah, and, and it's, it's insane. It's like that would be 
incredible. I, I think you got to go like three years minimum, no matter how bad the coach is. Even though I'm kind of down with the Freddie firing, just because that was, I think it was clear he was weighing over his head. I think yeah. the right. I, I was down with the decision, but hindsight's twenty twenty. A lot of people are saying, "Oh, we should have gone with Greg Williams." I have no idea what goes on in the locker room. Mm-hmm. We should call it. They looked like they were calling competent plays at the end of that twenty eighteen season. Yeah. And the first drive uh, last year, they're always great. Before you had to start, you know, audibling or rolling with the punches. But I'm just hoping we can instill discipline, call the right plays win back-to-back Super Bowls, and <laughs> who knows. But it's I like Stefanski. I like the way that he held uh, the press conference. Uh, one of the things that Hugh gets a lot of flack for, he was he could kind of throw players under the bus in press conferences. I don't know if he meant to do it, but Stefanski, he said, this all falls back on me. Next question, this falls yeah. back on me. And I'm like, that's the kind of skipper I want. Um, so – who knows, man? But all in all, are you guys pleased with Zach Taylor? I know that twenty last year was tough, but you guys lost a lot of close games last year. You were not a three win team. What was it? The three wins? They went two and fourteen. They lost 14. Uh, eight games by eight points or less. I, I don't know about Zach Taylor, I, and I I think that's the right answer. I think anybody who's who's telling you, God, we believe in this guy. Any fan who's telling you Zach Taylor's the guy, I, I think that's based on nothing beyond hope or <laughs> you're, you're simply happy that he's not Marvin Lewis. Then I think anybody who would definitively say, boy, this isn't the right guy that that's being incredibly unfair. I, you know, we, we've talked often about how, how we want to feel about the team by the end of the year, how we want to feel about Burrow by the end of the season. And for me, I, I've said all along by the end of the season, I, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be able to answer two questions. Yes. One is, is Joe Burrow the guy? I kind of feel like by the end of the season, we're going to go, yep, he's the guy. Number two is, is Zach Taylor the guy? Um, I, I, I feel like by the end of the season, I need to feel like they have their quarterback and their coach. And if they do, then I think we could talk about 2021 being a year where maybe the Bengals actually contend for something beyond just, you know, five or six wins. Um, I don't know. You know, he's, he, he, he's taken on a lot. Zach Taylor has, you know, you are, when you're the coach of the Bengals, you basically are the only public voice. The de facto general manager during the season never talks. The owner never talks. Um, he, you, you take on a lot of those face of the franchise responsibilities. Um, there's, you know, obviously a, a coach's role in uh, decisions about personnel. There's managing the team. There's leading. There's learning the ropes of being a, a young first-time NFL head coach, and he's calling plays. And there were times last season where we wondered, is that maybe biting off a little bit more than he can chew? Especially because last season they had all these controversies. As you know, typically when you have an awful year, all sorts of stuff crops up during the season. Cordy Glenn, his left tackle, didn't want to play. The AJ Green fiasco where. He was hurt, but he was still out running routes before games. And was he sitting out because he had no contract beyond 2019? The, the, the sloppy way everybody handled the Andy Dalton to Ryan Finley transition, then back to Andy Dalton. Um, it, it, there, there were times last year we sort of thought, God, there's, there's a lot of stuff showing up on Zach Taylor's desk. And he's got to prepare to call plays on Sunday. 
and maybe that's a little bit much. And so this season, he's going to be the coach of the team next year. I think it's fair to wonder, by the end of this season, can he juggle all those responsibilities? And if Zach Taylor's not going to call the plays, then who will? Because the offensive coordinator is Brian Callahan, who has very little experience in his current role. So I think that dynamic is interesting. The one thing I will say about Zach, and I know this sounds really hokey, um, they didn't win their first game until January or until uh, December of last season. They beat the Jets. And it was interesting to me, not, not necessarily how happy and relieved the players were, but how happy they were for him. I think that's telling. And then at the end of the year, when we were rooting against the Bengals, we wanted them to tank. Um, for the first time in my life, I actively rooted for them when they played the Dolphins week 16, because that was the game that they could clinch the top overall pick. And the Bengals played their hearts out that day. And that tells me that at least the team did quit on Zach Taylor. Now, that, that has a short shelf life, but if I'm looking for things, he didn't have a good team. They were never going to be very good. He inherited a mess of a roster. Andy Dalton was a lame duck. He didn't get hired until after the Super Bowl last year. He was meeting his assistant coaches last year for the first time at the scouting combine. So they were set up to fail from the get-go. So now I've got a, I'm looking for things within the context of the season that might tell me that Zach's the guy. And the team played for him. I mean, they weren't very good. You know, the, the Bengals played the Browns week 17. By then, everything was decided for both teams. The Bengals played hard that day. And I think they kind of played hard because they wanted to send Andy Dalton out a winner, but they didn't quit. And there were times over the previous couple of years, the last few years under Marvin for all of his qualities, that it seemed to me like Marvin lost the team. The team mailed it in. You saw guys going through the motions. I never saw that last year. Now, if this team is four and 10 at the end of the year, are guys mailing it in this year? Maybe. Um, but, 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 as, as, uns, as unsure as I am as to whether or not Zach is maybe taking on a little bit too much, I did see a team that played for him last year. And that's one of the first things you look for when evaluating a head coach. Do his guys play for him? And at least last season, the answer to that question was yes. Yeah, now that – I agree. That's what should matter most is do they play for him? And Stefanski as well uh, took up the role of play calling this year, which I'll be damned if I'm going to – tell a head coach <laughs> what to do, <laughs> what not to do. But I just feel like, all right, you have the set plays. How do you not just get like a get like a 14-year-old that's awesome at Madden, have him call the plays, you know what I mean? Have the head yeah. coach focus on everything else. But we'll see how it goes. For, for years, and you actually see teams doing this, for years when Marvin Lewis was here, Marvin Lewis was, again, for all of his positive attributes, and there were many, um, he was awful at game management, clock management, timeouts, throwing the challenge flag, stuff like that. And for years on my radio show, I would lobby to be what I would call the Bengals director of common sense, to be the guy that just stood there on the sideline to tell Marvin, like, hey, it's fourth and one. You want to go for it here. Or, hey, you're not going to win that challenge. Keep the flag in your pocket. Well, teams are starting to hire that guy. I mean, you, you see it around the NFL. The Bengals – have somebody who's sort of in charge of that. that then, and so, like, to me, with Zach Taylor, 
you know, now this year, okay, I'm going to judge you by how you handle stuff like that. So Sunday, they burn through their timeouts well before Joe Burrow's last drive. It's like, all right, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about how you need a director of common sense or you need to replace your director of common sense. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's stuff like that that is a huge part of what the head coach does. Well, you know, when, when you've got that and you've got to have your nose buried in your play sheet, and you've got, you know, leadership and, and, you know, keep an eye on what's happening with the defense. It's a lot, man. It's, I've, I've heard coaches talk, who call plays talk about how, how hard it is to juggle all that. I, I listened to an interview last year with Andy Reid. Andy Reid's one of the Hall of Fame. And even he says, he's like, yeah, during the game, I miss stuff. Um, you know, while calling plays, I miss stuff. While preparing the next series, I miss stuff. It's hard. Um, you know, he's been doing it forever, and he says it's hard. So how does somebody like Zach Taylor or Kevin Stefanski, who's never been a head coach before, how do they juggle all of that? Um, it's a good question, and, and maybe both coaches will. Um, but, but that, with Zach specifically, that's, that's what I think a lot of us have wondered. Is he equipped to handle the play calling and all the other stuff, both on Sunday and throughout the course of the week and throughout the course of the year when you're the head coach of the Bengals? Mo, I've been thinking about this for the last 20 seconds. You sound like such a Browns fan right now. <laughs> it's like it's refreshing to have somebody on the show where they go through the similar struggles. I mean, we are related with the yeah. whole Paul Brown thing. But, uh, yeah, big fan of the common sense uh, theory there. I agree. Like we just need to pick a guy that knows how to pick a guy. That's what I said before Dorsey. Yeah. He was great at picking guys, not as good at picking head coaches. Ultimately, I think that was his demise, but yeah, it's uh, I feel like I want you on our side. I, I, dig, <laughs> I, I dig what you're putting down, man. Uh, before we wrap it up, uh, what are your predictions for Thursday's game? God, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, that, that's, that's such a cop-out. Like, I, you, you sort of, watching the Browns from afar, you go, okay, well, a lot of teams are going to get smoked by Baltimore, in, including the one here. So am I going to crush them for uh, – am I going to hold it against them the fact that they lost by 32 points on the road to a team that has a legit chance to win the whole thing? Um, and COVID. Don't forget the COVID. And the COVID, the, the, the no, uh, no preseason, adding that to our excuses. You know, the, the I'll, I, I kind of look at it from two different standpoints. One is the gambling end of it. They're getting the Bengals are six and a half points. Feel pretty good about taking those points, but I know it's it's you know I know there'll be a few fans there, but I know it's not a typical road environment. It's still a rookie quarterback going on the road. Uh, it's still a team with a lot of new, young, different working parts. Um, they're going to have to be more productive offensively. They're going to have to be better with explosive plays. I think they're going to have to be more creative. The Bengals will have to be with using their running backs. And as well as I think the Bengals defense played, I think I think the Browns offer a different test than the Chargers do. I, I, I have a hard time saying the Bengals are going to win the game, quite frankly. On And I know I'll get crushed for saying that here. It's It's hard for me to say they go on the road and win rookie in his first road start, a Browns team that I think is going to play desperate, a quarterback with something to prove, 
and an offense that at least on paper presents a stiffer challenge to the Bengals. It's a short week. Zach Taylor's never coached on Thursday night football. My guess is, and I don't feel great about this. My my guess is the Browns win a game. Win the game. My guess is it's close. My guess is the Bengals don't play poorly, but for a lot of folks, it's going to be okay. We gave you a pass for losing the first one. Uh, oh, and two, we got to start seeing results. I am not going to be surprised at all if the Bengals win. Um, in fact, by kickoff, I'll probably convince myself that they will. I'll go Cleveland, something relatively close, something, I don't know, 24-20 in, in that range. I think the Browns are going to win the game. But if you're giving me six and a half points, and Vegas right now is, um, I'll take those points and feel pretty good about it. Gambling, man. I like it. Well, <laughs> last I, – uh... I'm very superstitious with my predictions, and whenever I, I, I feel like I feel so full of shit when I try to give accurate predictions. I have no yeah. idea what's ever going to shake down. Well, I call them guesses. Uh, I call them well, that's what they are. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they, they are. They are. We, he's an honest yeah. man on an honest podcast. Uh, but last week, I tried to jinx the Browns into victory by going uh, 48 Baltimore Browns 10 to try to give them the reverse anti-jinx, and it actually came true in a sense. So <laughs> I may wield the power of accurate yeah. results. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Browns 37, uh, Bengals 6. Nothing against you or thinking that that's what is actually wow. going to play out. I'm just hmm. hoping that in, from a superstition standpoint, something along the lines goes out. But I, I, I do hope it's – I do kind of want to see Burrow proceed. That's, that's not I'm analytical always- at all. I'm always wary of, you know, the week one overreaction, mm-hmm. which I just – I feel like we always fall into the trap of, you know, God, this team played terribly week one. They have no chance. And then, you know, five weeks later you look up and they're 4-2. They're and two. Um, You know, last year to a degree we did that. The Bengals were the first-time head coach. They go to Seattle and played well. They didn't win. But, you know, the, the talk after the game was like, wow, this coach – is aggressive and Marvin Lewis wasn't and they had a chance and they handled the crowd noise and they do all that. Boy, San Francisco is going to come here and the Bengals are going to beat them. Well, the Niners ended up being really good and they absolutely hammered the Bengals that day. It was uh, one of the more lopsided home losses they have suffered. So I'm, I'm always, I'm always a little hesitant to, to kind of alter how I feel about a game based on one week's worth of results. But I'm I'm mostly encouraged by what I saw from the Bengals on on Sunday, so I I feel okay. And look, this is this is a winnable game for both teams. I just there's there's something about a, a, a I, I think they're going to get Cleveland's best shot. I think that the Browns are going to be really desperate to win, and I think it's a tough spot for a team on a Thursday on the road, rookie quarterback, some dudes injured, and uh, I will say this: um, if if this game comes down to a field goal. <laughs> Uh, yeah. side, just don't let guy, it be Siebert. No Siebert, please, God, no. A Siebert. guy, a guy making a kick. It's it's going to be it's going to be fun to take the pulse of whichever fan base is uh, has their kicker lining up for it at that moment. And I don't know about you guys, but you can feel the desperation in Browns fans, <laughs> like you said. Would you uh, agree with the statement that this game is more important for the Browns than the Bengals? Yes, to to the degree that I think the Browns 
I think they, I, I think you have to start seeing like major tangible progress in the, in the win loss columns. I mean, I, I, it feels to me like anything beyond a playoff berth is going to be a massive disappointment, even in this really competitive division. You know, there's an added playoff team this year. They got a ton of hype, trending Super Bowl pick in 2019. It, it feels like anything beyond the postseason is going to be a massive failure. So, then if you start 0-2, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the math suddenly gets really, really hard. So, yeah, I, I think I think mechanically it's a, a – for, for the purposes of, you know, what you're trying to get done in 2020, I think the Bengals – the more critical part of the season is the end because that's when we either see or don't see progress. That's when we either see Joe Burrow – uh, looking like a better, more complete quarterback in weeks 14, 15, 16, 17 than weeks one through four. Um, the Browns, if they don't make the postseason this year, I don't know what that franchise does. The Bengals probably aren't going to make the playoffs this year. And so I, I feel like what this franchise is going to do is just try to build on what they did this season. So, yeah, I think it is a – I think it's a bigger game for the Browns. But I will say this. Um, the, the, the national media, to a degree – understandably so, spent all the time leading up to the draft hammering the Bengals. You know, there was a lot of, why would Joe Burrow want to go there? Is he going to pull an Eli Manning? Is he going to pull a John Elway? Boy, you know, why would you want to be drafted by the Bengals? Well, in prime time, these are the opportunities where you have a chance to shape the narrative. And the Bengals, for years, under Marvin Lewis, their, their reputation was carved out by the fact that in the games that the most people watched, which are obviously prime time and playoff games, they usually fell flat on their faces. So if this team is going to rebrand itself, if this team is going to change how people talk about it, go win the game on Thursday night. Um, I think from that standpoint, this is, this is a big opportunity for the Bengals because on Friday morning, that Thursday night game is going to be talked about around the country. And so does do the Bengals sort of start to alter the way people talk about this team by winning on Thursday? Or is it, yeah, you know what, for all of their changes, the Bengals are still the same. Um, I think from that standpoint, this is a, a pretty big opportunity for, for, for the Bengals. Yeah, that's uh, sold me on that. It kind of kind of got me fired up. Almost got me rooting for the Bengals, but that's well said. Thursday night games are such a crapshoot. I could not imagine – one, playing in an NFL game. Two, playing in another NFL game with essentially three days off afterwards. <laughs> um, but it's going to be exciting. Uh, best of luck to both teams. May there be no further freak injuries. And uh, <laughs> best of luck. Thanks again I so just, much I, for if, coming If on. Joe Burrow's helmet comes off, I just need somebody to take it from Miles Garrett. That's all I hope. <laughs> all right. I, I just <laughs> – yeah, I, I, I can't, you know, I, I, you know, when I was, when I was a teenager, my dog ran across the street and nearly got hit by a car. If I see a helmet being flung at Joe Burrow's head, my heart will do the same thing I did that it did when that happened to my dog. So I just need to make sure Miles Garrett and Joe Burrow, they're not going to get along, but I just need, I need all the violence to be within the framework of the game itself. If his helmet comes off, Miles Garrett will politely give it back to him and then give him a high <laughs> five. <laughs> but hey, Mo, thanks so much for coming on. Everyone, check out Mo on the Twitter machine. At Mo Egger, 1530.
at Mo Egger, 1530. The mic is yours. Any, anything you want to plug? Who day? Battle of Ohio. <laughs> you can hear the Bengals game in Cincinnati on ESPN, 1530. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much again. That was a great interview. You guys killed it. Thanks again, Mo, for coming on. Uh, and we're gonna, like we've said, we're gonna keep bringing on, uh, you know, media members of the other team that we're playing this week to give you guys a real look at the team we're playing. So look forward to those. All right, well, shit. I guess go Browns. Please don't break our hearts. Please, God, win. Oh, please make Friday a fun one. We got a big oh. game tonight. Let's go. Get pumped up. Yo, we got the <laughs> Bengals coming to town. We got Baker and the boys out there going to whip some ass, whip some Bengal, Tiger, whatever they are. Uh, if I see any more who day, I'm going to who day myself off the 480 bridge. I'm not putting up with that shit, so we are not losing this game. But kick me to an outro song. Good night, Cleveland. <laughs>